What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, episode 88. Today I'm joined by Zexter, an American Pakistani DJ and producer from Atlanta who makes a range of four on the floor music from techno to progressive house. In March this year, he was part of a number one chart topping EP on Beatport on the collaborative Devil's Breath release by Black Square Recordings, and has also released on a variety of labels including Pure Dope Digital, Format Recordings, Intact Dark Balance, Southern Exposure, and he's a regular on White Line Music. Zexter's unique sound stems from his love of European dance music, his classical instrument training, and his degree in sound design. During this episode, we discuss his international roots, his production process, and picking a label. But before we jump in, I want to thank Melodics.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you haven't heard of Melodics, it's an amazing desktop app that works with any MIDI controller and allows you to learn finger drumming, piano playing, or even electronic drums. There are a bunch of different options on different ways to learn within the Melodics app. Once you pick your instrument, drums, pads, or keys, the app has multiple different learning options ranging from a structured lesson plan to individual courses such as uh, daily warm-ups, hip-hop synchronization, and dancey rhythms. You've also got the option to pick individual lessons broken down by topic, grade level, and genre. All of these options let you tailor your melodics experience to your needs and ability level, which in turn speeds up the learning process. Another great thing about Melodics.com is that there's no cost for trying it out. They've got 60 free lessons and just about any MIDI controller will work. From there, if you'd like to subscribe to unlock additional premium content, use ProducerLife-20 for 20% off of an annual subscription or 20% off a monthly subscription for the first three months. Again, that's ProducerLife-20. And that's a great way to support this podcast. And now, cue the intro music. All right, Zexter, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, why don't we kind of start at the beginning? How did you get your interest in electronic music to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it began back like in the late 90s. I was only like five or six at the time. But I remember like I'd get invited to a lot of birthday parties back then where they'd have a lot of like the current like dance tracks that were popular, like more well-known tracks like Barbie girl or uh, (laughs) blue Daba D Daba die. But it it was that one um, Eiffel 65, you know, blue Daba D Daba die. And as well as their other track, move your body that Mm -hmm. really kind of like was, I I would say maybe the first instances of me liking electronic music. Cause I was like, I really like the electronic sense that they're using how it doesn't sound like it's made by like conventional, like classic tech uh, instruments. And, and the music video I remember at the time I thought was really cool looking at it. Now it's kind of cheesy, but um, with really <laughs> dated animation. Yep. But uh, yeah, I really loved the, the beats and the groove and the four on the floor format. And then I remember hearing sandstorm in like 2001. Yeah. And uh, of course we all know how popular that song is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but when it came like a little bit more focused in like the, I guess the underground side of electronic music, it was actually when I was uh, flying to Frankfurt one time from Atlanta, uh, uh, Germany's flag carrier airline, uh, Lufthansa, on board had a, their in-flight radio had a channel called Channel 6 Club Mix hosted by uh, Pete Blank of Blank and Jones, who are a pretty well-known trance duo from Germany. So I remember the songs on there were really cool. I was like, wow, this is very different. Like I, it doesn't sound too commercial to me. Not like I was thinking that way necessarily, but I think that was part of what was quite appealing for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I really liked the high energy synths. It was mainly trance music, but there was also some uh, progressive house in there as well. Like one song that really stuck out to me in that, uh, in that episode and that, in that one flight, was one called uh, Milo Drop the Pressure, which uh, is a pretty funky track. I guess it kind of fits in the progressive house, just 
or just left field house genre. Okay. But I remember thinking, I remember thinking this is, this is fun. You know, I like what he's done with his voice here. I like the baseline. I like the beat. And then I started learning different names as well. Like, cause I, I flew on that airline a lot. So <laughs> I'd, I'd always listen to that channel every time. So that's how I ended up discovering artists like Paul Van Dyke, mm-hmm. Armin Van Buren, uh, Eric Prids. So uh, Eric Prids, um, he's also a very big reason because when I heard his music, you know, his, he's like the king of like progressive house almost. Mm-hmm. But and as I started listening to him a lot more, and this was years later, it was kind of through that where my love for progressive house came from was basically like guys like him and Dead Mouse. Mm-hmm. So that resurgence, basically, because even though I had like liked a few tracks, like when I was like always flying on that airline, it wasn't until like I was in college that I decided to like really learn more about these genres and maybe even. Because that was when I had started my program at uh, SCAD, which is where I went to college for their sound design program. And I remember thinking, like, this is the perfect opportunity to learn how to make that kind of music. So, um, yeah, through that, it was just a lot of discovery of different uh, similar sounding artists, not just listening to one artist with one sound, listening to many artists with similar sounds. Okay. Now, now when you went into college for a degree in sound design, it was, was it also audio engineering or was that like a double major or a minor? Or? So, uh, I mean, the overall program was called sound design. So okay. it, it covered a lot of things, but their main focus was definitely actually on uh, post-production for mo- motion picture, like TV shows, animation, and, and film. But th- there was definitely also a side of it that was musical as well. So that's where okay. like classes like uh, m- like sound synthesis or uh, or MIDI technologies or music for motion pictures or rec of recording one and then recording two, those were the ones that definitely stuck out to me a lot more because I felt like that was more the direction I wanted to go. Even though the school themselves were definitely trying to push the film and television side a lot more because I think there's a lot more jobs and uh, money in that way. <laughs> Yeah. And SCAD definitely focused on trying to help you with like get a career out of your art, not just making you a good artist. Okay. What was, uh, what was taking you back and forth to Frankfurt? Oh, um, it's because, uh, you know, I, since I travel internationally a lot, um, uh, my dad, uh, my dad's job had us, uh, moving around a lot when I was little, like we, you know, he would, uh, be posted in all these different countries. So we'd always, uh, fly Lufthansa whenever we'd go from from wherever we were living back to the United States or so. Like whenever we'd visit Pakistan, because uh, because of Pakistan is not considered a very safe place, not a lot of uh, airlines go there. Mm-hmm. So we'd often have to take several routes to get there. So Frankfurt is just a, that's like the hub city for Lufthansa Airway, airlines. So uh, it would, we would just go through that airport a lot. Okay. I've never and, actually been outside the airport there. How much, uh, th- that's too bad actually. Cause there's some awesome techno clubs there. Techno is huge in Germany and. Oh, I know. A lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of cool music and cool places to explore there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spent a few weeks in Germany. Nice. So how long were you in Pakistan before you came to the States and, and to what degree has that influenced your music? So it's, uh, it's a little weird to explain. So I, I was actually born in the States. Uh, I was born here in Atlanta. And, but, you know, my parents are both Pakistani and they raised me very much in the same type of like environment and like the same like values that we would have back in like Pakistan as well. I did live in Pakistan for a short amount of time, but uh, unfortunately while I was there, a few things uh, did happen. Uh, like I, I moved there at in August of 2001. So shortly after that, oh, 9-11 wow. happened. And uh, you know, the, the United States Embassy told us that like we needed to evacuate for a bit because there was going to be some violence that was going to start uh, occurring in, you know, in Afghanistan and like, and 
and also like with within Pakistan, there was you know a lot of people who like supported movements and such. So there was often threats against you know the expat expat kids and those mm. who weren't Pakistani. So we had to evacuate, and that was not fun. I can imagine that had to have been a terrifying part of your life. Yeah, it definitely was, and some unfortunate things within my family were happening then too. So it, it was just a really bad year and just a bad time. And okay. we had moved there from Egypt, actually, which is where, which is where we were living back then. And then we moved to to Pakistan. Then uh, I came back to the states right right at when that happened. Okay, so, and I think I read you also had have relatives in Jordan as well. Oh yeah, my parents live there right currently. Wow. Okay, so you you've really got an incredible amount of international exposure. What? How does that affect sort of your worldview and your perspective and your music production, if at uh -huh. all? Yeah, it does. So as far as my worldview goes, like I've just seen seen a lot. You know, I've lived in five or now six countries in total. So I've seen different cultures, you know, different languages and, you know, different styles of music and different instruments and and tools used within each uh, culture for how they make their music. So um, it's definitely impacted in a way where I've like seen how different, uh, different places, like how, like how they operate with like their music scenes and such. So it's like, it helped me understand like where, like how do the artists over here do this? Like what, uh, and certain artists who I may have seen in certain countries, like when I would see them perform, if that makes sense. Kind of. Can you, can you think of a specific instance of some like major difference that kind of gave you a major insight that you've, that you've used or. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's say like when I was in, when I was in college, like my first year, I remember like all these college parties, just not having good music at all. Like the DJs were just playing trap and <laughs> dubstep. And of course that, you know, it's always subjective, you know, people like that and mm -hmm. I don't, but I was just thinking like, it would be so much better to hear a lot of that kind of music, which I like here as well, because it's still a party environment. So whenever I'd visit my parents uh, during the holidays and we were living in Geneva, Switzerland at the time, <laughs> So, so whenever I'd go back over there, you know, there was, the music was definitely a lot closer to what I like. So that would always just motivate me more that like, yes, people over here are actually into this music. So I would go and actually go to these like public events that they would have. Like I remember Geneva would always have this annual music festival where all different types of musicians would be performing in various areas. So I remember like just going through a list and just finding anything that looked electronic. So I found one and I just went to this one park and I think I was the only one who attended that thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there were these DJs who were spinning vinyl and playing some minimal house. And I was like, I really like what they're playing. Like there's not a, there's not a whole lot going on, going on in these tracks, but I like the, I really appreciate the way they're mixing and I appreciate the way that they're, that this music has this kind of repetition that still like locks you into some sort of uh, trance. Yeah. And I'm sure they appreciated you as their only audience member. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, all right. So all, all these different international experiences, exposure to a lot of different electronic music and sounds. And then of course you're, you're drawing from your sound design degree. Talk to me about, your your current sound i mean you most of what you're doing right now is sort of hard techno is that fair somewhat it's uh it's pretty broad i feel like if you've listened to some of my if you listen to my whole discography like on beatport or like on spotify there is uh while there is like hard techno in there there's also like some more mellower sounding techno or and like i said there's also progressive house in there so okay I wouldn't say I'm really tied down to like one specific like sound within the genre. It's more of just what I'm feeling currently and I just will produce it. Like sometimes I'll be in the mood for more of like the deeper and trippier Berlin sound 
or sometimes I'm in the mood for like the really fast 140 BPM uh, sound that you'd hear like from like the early 2000s. Or some days I'm into I'm into more melodic progressive house like Anjuna stuff. So it's always uh, kind of just depends on like the mood of that day. And then when I start that project, I'll just always come back to it and try and remember what mood I was feeling that day. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you sit down at your DAW and are you, I, th- I think I read you're using Ableton for most of your actual production work. Is that correct? Right? Okay. So when you sit down at Ableton and you, uh, you know, you're feeling some inspiration or maybe you're not, where do you kind of start with a, a new track? Kind of walk us through your process a little bit. Yeah. So usually I will, I usually always start with the, with the drum set and most of my tracks will be inspired by a track I heard somewhere else. So I'll usually try and like emulate that groove or sound without like completely plagiarizing a song, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. So um, I will have like that one track as a reference. So I'll usually try and uh, like keep a very similar sounding uh, like drum arrangement and MIDI programming for it. Okay. With a, And and if it sounds a little too similar, that's when I start tweaking it to give it like my own spin to it. So it begins with that, with, with, with the drums usually, but sometimes it will begin with like a actual melody or like a lick that I accidentally created. Okay. And what's your, aside from the sound design background, I believe you've also got some classical training as a musician as well. Is that right? Yes, I have uh, in many different regards. Like um, I, I was always involved in many after-school music programs in, in, all the way back to first grade when I used to take violin. And I did that for, for, the, for my entire first grade. So that was like my first real instrument that I learned. Okay. But I've also learned other instruments. Like I've, I've learned guitar as well, which is the instrument I'm probably the best at. Okay. Um, I've I, I learned that for about sixteen years, and uh, well, I mean, it didn't take didn't take me sixteen years to learn, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you're still playing it. Yeah, I'm still playing it. And then uh, I've also, when I was living in India, I learned sitar. Oh wow! From an actual uh, pundit uh, who was a, was very good himself and a very good teacher as well. So okay. uh, that was pretty good. You know, it's a very very different instrument from guitar. And yeah, very, I, I, very challenging. Very, very unique sound as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know that I've heard your entire discography, but I'm trying to think if I've heard sitar in your in any of your tracks. Do, are, are there any that you could highlight where you're using that? Uh, none so far. Okay. Uh, guitar, though, I have used in one, but it, that track hasn't been released yet. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So you you said you usually start with sort of a beat and a groove and, and of course, a reference track that you're kind of using for inspiration. If you're going for chords and melodies, do you sort of rely on your classical music background and, you know, all right, well, I'm going to go from D minor to whatever, or or is it more just you just kind of play around until you find something that your ear likes? It's a little bit of both. Like luckily with with my understanding of uh, music theory, like I'll always know which note I'm playing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of it will come with, uh, a lot of it will be with just uh, just playing around with melodies and notes that work within a certain scale. Okay. Um, any any tips or advice for people that are interested in writing better? melodies and uh chord progressions um the best tip i can give is always uh, try and stay in the same skill i mean okay. in the same scale because i know that a lot of people who are producers who don't exactly have a musical background can sometimes miss those things yeah and uh certainly ableton 11 made that a lot easier now that you can uh lock your midi clips into a specific scale and have it display that for you that was uh, a big boon for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay, awesome. I still um, need to upgrade. <laughs> from oh, 10 okay, speech. yeah. Live 11 <laughs> is awesome. It's got, yeah. got lots of new features. 
that's one of my favorites is because I don't have quite as I don't have that strong a sound basis music theory, but uh, there's there's all sorts of cool new instruments and uh, convolution reverb and oh yeah, I mean that's been there from before. Yeah, you're right. With Max for live stuff. Yeah, so lot lot of good stuff in eleven. What? So your your latest release is the Inertia EP, um, and, and that was a the original track plus a remix and then accelerator and a remix and and you collaborated with multiple different artists. Um, frequently, I see collabs with you know one extra artist, but you had three. Tell me about sort of how that EP came about and how the collabs occurred. Okay, so uh, first off, I've actually had a release uh, that came out just uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Since oh, terrific! One. What's yeah. uh, what's the most recent? It's called a uh, pulsator. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I can still talk about it, the Inertia EP because it is actually uh, actually pretty cool the way we made that one. Okay, well let's let's talk about both. Absolutely. Why, why don't we uh, start off with either one, whichever one you want to go with? Yeah, so uh, I'll first start with uh, in- Inertia. So, um, so I was actually visiting my parents in Jordan last uh, December. So I actually made this one while I was there. Um, Inertia had primarily been made by Nick Well, who's one of the collaborators on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just added a few little things like with the drums. Uh, but the main one I actually created was Accelerator. And the way the collaboration for that worked was that uh, 18 East, uh, who was the main head of the project, and Nick Well, uh, you know, they both sent some sounds that they had uh, that they had like made in like their DAWs, like with like their VSTs, or some some of them with like actual hardware, and told me to make a track out of it. So I did, and the final product was really well received. And then this guy, Sigabort, uh, who remixed both of these tracks, uh, we j- just sent him the stems and he did the remixes. And then we had the release uh, come out in in June of this year. Okay, great. Um, and how did you know these people originally? Were they personal friends or people you ran across in social media, or maybe people you performed with? So uh, 18 East is the label head of White Line Music. Okay. He's, that's the label I mainly release with. Uh, of course, Inertia was on physical techno records, but we still collaborated because of our, because of how long we've known each other, which is about uh, a little over two years now. Okay. It actually began uh, with a local producer uh, and 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 label head here in Atlanta, a Rascal, who runs a Southern Exposure, and he had received a track from 18 East, and he asked if I if I wanted to remix the track that he had made and I heard the original track and I thought it was pretty good. So I decided, yeah, I'll, uh, I'd be happy to remix this. And then I, through that, I started chatting with 18 East a lot more. He told me about how, how he had just started his new label white line music and he was interested in signing some of my music. So, uh, through that, we developed quite a relationship of, you know, he, you know, he, he really likes my sound. You know, I'm, he, definitely champions me as one of the white line artists and it's given me a lot of opportunities uh, ever since um because you know because white line music has now had a had two showcases in Amsterdam during uh, ADE and I've gotten to play both of them in fact I ran this the one that just happened this past uh, this past month that is awesome congratulations uh, that's that's one of the biggest uh, sort of music dance events on the planet, isn't it? Um, I, I think it's up there. Yeah, it's def- a lot of people definitely come for it. <laughs> That's a huge one. So, yeah, congratulations. What was what was ADE like? Oh, it was great. You know, I first off, the city of Amsterdam is always great to visit. You know, I love the people there. I like walking around. I love using public transport and just having lived in Europe before, like I always just love coming back. I feel like there's a lot of things that, that they do really well over there that the U S should take notes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, I feel like that's one of the biggest benefits of international travel is you, you get a much broader perspective and um, either you appreciate what you have back home or you realize, Hey, there's a lot of things we could learn from these other cultures. Exactly. Yeah. I feel there's always more to learn from others. But um, 
as far as ADE itself went, you know, I had a great time last time I did it. And this time was also great. It was just great to be around like other like-minded artists and people who I'd only like talked with on social media and to finally meet them face to face. And just seeing that, like we all had like, just being able to discuss things and knowing what each other is talking about. Yeah. And also I love, I much prefer like the European sound, the techno, you know, I feel sometimes business techno lately is, is not as fun. And a lot more people play that here in the United States and they do like the more underground sounding stuff. What, so, what do you feel like is the sort of defining element between European techno and US techno? What What is it about that sound that you prefer? I prefer the, I prefer like the fact that it can be less melodic. You know, I I love melodies, but I I like the the hypnotic sense that you get from, you know, loops of of like synths or or even loops of like percussion that are like the main hook of a track. I I find that a lot more appealing, at least lately. Like that's okay. how my current sound has been. Okay. So I, I guess that's a good time to to loop back to Pulsator as as your most current track. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that and and um So yes, this is this is a very special track. So uh I don't know if you've pulled it up on Beatport or anything, but uh Yeah, I am doing it now. Okay, yeah. Um so the name of the release is called Fragments. Uh, it's it's a white line music release, and it's basically a compilation uh, release with songs from multiple artists. But the thing about this that's unique to this uh, project was that the way this worked was that we, we had reached out to a lot of the artists who are currently releasing with white line last year because we wanted to do this project where each of us was assigned to uh, create a specific sound within a certain category. Like one artist was asked to make kicks. Another artist was asked to make uh, bass lines. Another artist was asked to make claps. Another one was asked to make melodies, et cetera, et cetera. So the project was that we all had to contribute like each one those, you know, those individual sounds. And then we had to uh, all make a track using that, using those sounds we weren't allowed to use any original sounds that we created and, and we all had to use the exact same, uh, you could say, uh, sample bank, which was all, all of our sounds. Okay. So it's basically just, it's called fragments cause it has fragments of everybody's, uh, sounds that they put together to make their own track. Wow. That's, that's a cool process. Very nice. So what, what did you originally contribute to it? Which part of the track? I did melodies. And no, uh, okay. and the one melody that you hear in Pulsator is one that I created. Everything else in there is all sounds from other artists. I can't quite remember who who was from what was from who, but uh, I'd have to open up the project again. But yeah, all those sounds that are in that track, apart from that melody I created, were all uh, contributed by somebody else. Okay, I, I will take a listen to that as soon as we're done here. Um, when you were writing the melodies, are you? pushing keys on a MIDI keyboard or are you drawing it out with a mouse in little loops or how do you like to come up with melodies? Yeah, I do both. Like I'll first play it on the keyboard and then after that I'll program it in. Okay. When that was released, what was there a sort of strategy that all of the artists agreed upon for marketing and promoting it? Or was it mostly the label or what did you guys do to promote that? pulsator well i guess just the same way we've promoted all of our releases i mean it's uh the label will do their own promotion as well like through their social media pages but 18 east usually expects all of us to make posts uh, about our own stuff as well and most of them do like uh, a few of them don't and then he usually just doesn't work with them again (laughs) not pulling their load yeah um yeah Uh, okay all right, but but there wasn't sort of a broad coordinated marketing strategy. Hey, we want you guys to post about this topic or you know this piece of the album art here. It was it was more just hey, make sure you guys are keeping up uh, chatter about your uh, about the release. Yes, for this one, yeah, uh, a few releases in the past have been given a little bit of different strategies with uh, being sent to to promo pools. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you you mentioned uh, most of your music gets released with uh, White Line Music, and and you got to spend a little time working with them in London uh, a while back. Talk to me about that experience. Okay, so I, I didn't exactly work with them because uh, the label is actually based out of uh, Mumbai, India. 18 East oh. is actually uh, from, he's from India. Okay. Uh, but I was still working with them because I went to London last year intending to be there for a fair amount of time to be able to play some gigs and uh, connect with a lot of the people around there and also travel across Europe to meet other people. But uh, I went there in uh, March of 2020. So as you can probably guess, um, <laughs> like I pretty much landed six hours before they closed the UK border for foreign visitors. So I was very lucky to get in, but uh, there was nothing to do. Like everything pretty, was shut down. Everything was shut down. Like I could barely even leave the zip code or the postal code as they call it there. And all my favorite restaurants were shut down. So I couldn't even do that. I had a lot of friends I intended to see, couldn't see any of them. So uh, basically what I did was just uh, make a lot of music at home and then run a lot of uh, live streams since a lot of DJs were doing live streams last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with 18 East, uh, uh, you know, we put on a lot of uh, online events, you know, featuring certain artists. And that was definitely, uh, it was definitely good, uh, a good experience in that sense because I got to learn how to work with, different personalities, people who, uh, you know, different people who are from, from different places. You know, we have artists who are from, some are from Canada, some are from, a lot of them are from Europe, some are from Germany, some are from Belgium, some are Italian, some of them are, are like Americans living in Japan. So it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a good amount of uh, variety uh, that we had. So, of course, it was very challenging to make sure that we got all the time zones correctly and that everybody was on the same page with that when we advertised it. Yeah. Boy, that was a pain. But <laughs> <laughs> what were you guys, uh, were you using like Restream and, and uh, yes. OBS? and? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pretty much had to teach everyone how to use OBS. <laughs> yeah, everybody was figuring that out last year. That was uh Interesting time. Do you think you'll, uh, are you still doing any live streams or is that kind of just died off as clubs have started to open up again? It has kind of died down with me, but I definitely would like to get back on it because there's still a market for that. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of, I didn't have all my cool equipment with me when I was in London. So when I came back after my 90 days expired, because you can, you can visit the UK up to 90 days without a visa. So um, once that was up, I came back. And I was really excited to be able to have like my bigger like mixer and my turntables back because that also adds like a, more of a visual appeal on your streams versus just people hearing music. Mm-hmm. Did you, at the end of that 90 days, that would have been June. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised the borders were open again, that they were letting people travel both ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, things were a little bit, still were a little uncertain, but I think they had figured out some kind of structure on how to resume uh, travel. Yeah. Especially for people whose, whose um, time was expiring, that kind of a catch 22, you can't stay, but you can't go. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It was a, it was, and traveling has definitely been a more of a process than it used to be. Yeah. Like you can barely check in online anymore that you always have to check in like you used to. <laughs> we yeah, had the long getting, lines uh, at the check-in desk. COVID tests within 72 hours. And yeah, it's, um, Oh boy. ADE this year, I had to get a COVID test every morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm glad that they take it seriously there. So no real complaints, but you know, of course it, I had to always make an appointment and find a place and then they would always send the results back. And then I'd have to, then they would give me a QR code and at every club in an event, they would, they would have to scan that QR code to let you in. It sounds like the um, structures for managing that are much more robust in Europe. I haven't seen that here in the States yet. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, my vaccine card wasn't enough. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but then they allow you to be maskless in these places as well because of that. Okay, that and, makes sense. And, 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 and of course, here you have to wear a mask and then a lot of people ignore it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
one of your one of your tracks a little while ago, I think it was um, Devil's Breath, hit number one on Beatport. Yes. Did you, do did you do anything other than having an awesome track? Did you do anything different in terms of marketing, or or was it just right time, right track, or what do you think? Uh, what do you think happened there? Okay, yeah. So this is this is a good one. So um, so Devil's Breath is the name of the EP and has uh, two tracks in there. So one of the tracks has me in there. The other one does not. So the okay. the title track Devil's Breath is a collaboration between 18 East and Architect, and the other track, which is the one I worked on, is Fanta, which is which is 18 East and me. Okay. So uh, yeah, 18 East is the one who's in common with both tracks where me and architect are separate on each track, but uh, the label we signed this to black square recordings is run by uh, Gene cars who also runs uh, the bigger techno label eclipse recordings. So getting this signed to that was already a, a big plus. So we're like, okay, so we got it with a reputable label. So mm-hmm. because of that, we knew we had to definitely let it have it do well in the promos. So we uh, used concrete promo uh, to send it out to a lot of like the bigger artists. So like we were getting feedback from artists like Maceo Plex and uh, Adam Bayer, Richie Houghton and uh, Oscar L mm-hmm. and John Connor and a few other like big names who like it reached, you know, some of them were interested. Some of them were not. Uh, Devil's Breath was definitely more popular than Fanta, which was my track. Okay. But uh, speaking of Oscar L, when the track was right before the track was released, uh, Oscar L had a studio mix uh, for the drum code uh, radio live show that Adam Bear runs, and he played Devil's Breath. Uh, oh wow! So, so that really helped a lot, you know. To yeah. have a, you know having a bigger artist play your song, and especially on drum code live, is always a big deal. Even though it wasn't my track, it was still attached because of the same EP. So throughout all the charts, not just because uh, it reached number one in the top 100 uh, raw and deep uh, hip- hypnotic techno uh, releases, the individual tracks uh, also managed to do well in that ca- in, in their respective uh, re- uh, track categories. Devil's Breath did a little higher. Fanta, I think I was able to get it as as high as up to, I think, number 16 or so. That's still huge. It is. And then... Uh, and then the overall EP like did well on the global uh, releases. So Devil's Breath was number seventy nine in that covering across all genres on Bport. Wow! Wow! Amazing! Okay! Awesome! You've mentioned a lot of different music labels. When you are shopping a song around for different music labels, what? Obviously, you're looking for ones that have a good match in terms of genre and sound, but how do you go about picking the labels that you decide to release with? What are, what are some factors you look for? Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is just I'll listen to a lot of what their recent releases sound like and try and figure out what's what is the thing that's that makes this the sound of this label. So I'll look for those elements, and then I'll. And then I'll do the same thing of using a reference track of a track that I think perfectly encapsulates the sound of a label. And then I'll make a track and I will, and I will target that label and send it to their, uh, because most of these labels like Facebook pages or like their websites will have like links for where you can send demos. Okay. So you're step one. um, You're, you're looking for a label before you even start writing the music. If I want to release with a with a specific label, okay. if I've already created a track, um, then I will do something similar where I will see which label that I like does this track fit the sound of the best. Now, okay. the way a lot of my releases have occurred have been due to uh, a lot of it is thanks to 18 East. A lot of times, you know, his friends who run other labels will will be looking for artists, so he will say, "Do you think you can make a track for this label?" And I'm like, yeah, that actually sounds good. I'll, I'll make this track and I'll send it to them. So a lot of it, he, he'll put me in touch with, or also ADE. You know, the two times I've gone, I've met label heads there, and I've gotten emails, and I will, and 
and I have followed up on a few of them. There's one I plan to to send a few tracks to that I met this year. Complex recordings run by Dum- Drum Complex. So I, I really want to try and get that one uh, sometime soon. Okay. You've traveled all over the place and I, I suspect played at many of them, uh, but currently Atlanta is your home. And, and um, do you have favorite venues here in Atlanta? Where Where's the best techno scene and, and what makes a great venue? Ah, yes. So uh, here in Atlanta, uh, the main one that I play for is uh, called Odyssey After Hours which is uh, basically an after-hours event that takes place uh, both Friday night and Saturday night every weekend. Um, And yeah, it's basically where most of the people who have been partying all night go to after the the bars and clubs close. So yeah, I'm one of the resident DJs there. Okay. Like there's a large rotation of many other DJs that he books and then will bring back, or if if they're not good, he won't bring them back. Um. But there's other good venues I've played at, too. Um, there was one that I used to really like, but uh, is unfortunately closed due to COVID and mm-hmm. they didn't survive, uh, was Music Room. That was a really cool place. Uh, really nice vibes there. Um, another good place that I've played at was... Uh, I've also played at uh, Believe Music Hall, uh, which mm-hmm. is um, which is run by the people who do Imagine Festival here. Yeah. And then I've played that's a lot a good, of just, oh yeah. That's a good music festival. Have you, I'm sorry, go ahead. You've played a lot of other what? Yeah. And then I've played like a lot of uh, other parties that have been organized that are like just events, which aren't necessarily like a, a club night, but like sometimes it can be in a, in a warehouse or sometimes it will be at a, at like an art center. And those are the ones I like the best. The ones which are like the private parties or the ones which are the, well, I wouldn't say private, but like the secret parties, the ones that like, that kind of have like that old uh, illegal rave. rave or, deal. Yeah. The ba- basically underground, like you're in a, you're using a space that, it, that is not meant for that, but it still works. You know, of course, you mm-hmm. know, for techno, just like everyone else, I love a large warehouse, you know, with the lasers and, and smoke machines and a really good sound system. Yeah. When you're getting ready for a set, what what do you do to prepare? How do you pick your music? And uh, do you have any, I guess, pregame rituals, so to speak? Um, well, as far as picking the music goes, um, I'll usually create a playlist on my USB for that specific gig. Mm-hmm. And then I'll... Uh, just go through a bunch of tracks and decide which ones would be good for that night. And I usually don't end up playing all of them because usually the list ends up being longer than how long my set would end up being. But uh, I just, it just gives me a a good narrower like range of tracks because oftentimes like I'll, there'll be certain tracks that I, that I want to play. And I just can't remember the name of the artist because of so many tracks that I have. So it's mm-hmm. nice to have that playlist to be able to scroll through and, and find it there or just have an idea of like, I want to make sure I have, I played this track and I need to make sure that it's in here. So that's where that goes. Um, so if you have like a two hour set, how many tracks do you typically have in that playlist? Uh, Probably, probably at least 40. Okay. So pretty, pretty selective. Um, And, and what, What's your thought process? Are you looking for the most current stuff? Are you looking for sort of your favorites? Are you trying to think about what is it the crowd's going to react to? What's your thought process? So a lot of it is I'll keep in mind like what time my slot is, what, which place I'm playing at. And I make a prediction on how many people will be there. So, because I always will play according to a lot of those things. So if I know that I'm going to be playing at a smaller intimate venue and it's going to be like a little earlier in the night where peak time techno is not the way to go you know i'll usually try and think of some find something that's a little bit more smoother or like uh, a little more mellower like uh, just a few weeks ago i was asked to open for both uh, drunken kong and christian smith uh, Mm -hmm. at uh, at crazy atlanta 
So because I knew I was the opening DJ and everyone knows me for like my, my pretty energetic high, uh, for, for my techno, like I knew that I had to play something a little different, but, and that's because I have all these other tracks of, uh, of different genres that I almost never get to play, but I want to play. So that's where there was, this was an opportunity to play all those. So I remember I made the playlist and I, knew that I just wanted to play something that would start off kind of slow and just build it up towards like start at like 123 and end at 127, which is perfect for drunken Kong who went on right after me. Okay. Um, now you said play tracks. You don't usually get to play. Are you, are you still sticking sort of with broadly the techno genre or were you branching out into other genres? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like certain, times like I'm in the mood to play more progressive house and lately like the sound for progressive house that I really like is uh, kind of like uh, John Digweed or Sasha mm-hmm. like the ones that just sound really good and are you know are, are kind of more trippy and less of that uh, slowed down trance you could say that, mm-hmm. that which is kind of more of like what Anjuna is like I still yeah. like Anjuna but like my sound is definitely more on like the side of like bedrock or Celador. Or... You have an, you really have an incredible knowledge of music labels. I more so than I think any other artist I've had on this podcast. You, you seem to have a real appreciation for different labels and their sounds. I certainly do. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, every label has their sound so that they can stick out. So I'll always like some labels are just always reliable that you know that they just have good music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. You said something interesting when you were sort of rattling off the factors as, as you're planning a set, you talked about, you know, who's playing next, the time of the day, the venue, but you also said crowd size. What does crowd size have to do with what music you're going to play? Yeah. So, um, you know, in my earlier days of DJing, you know, we've always had, I'm sure every DJ has gone through this where we've like played to like almost no one where we were playing to an empty room or where we actually cleared the room (laughs) or, or the, yeah, where we have moments like that. And, you know, every time I've like wanted to play techno, I want people to be there because I feel it's a genre that if like there's a few people in the room and you're playing really, really like high energy stuff, it doesn't really get them going. Like you kind of have to play a little softer and kind of either build it up for them or, uh, or stick to that other sound that they seem that seems to get them going. I guess it's kind of tied to the time of the night is is maybe more because generally later at night you're going to have bigger audiences than if you're the opening act at nine o'clock. Right, but it also can be like if if you have an event and like it's a bust that like not many people end up showing up, then yeah. like no matter what time of of night it is. And sometimes I make adjustments and this is something that, uh, I've discussed with other DJs as well. Like, uh, recently, uh, Jeremy Olander played at believe music hall. And, uh, I was really excited to see him. You know, I've been a fan of his for years. And, and when I was there, there was, there was not a lot of people there for him. Uh, so like after he played, I had a nice chat with him. You know, I said like, and he was like, yeah, I mean, it, it was fun to play here, but, you know, it's there's not a lot of people here, and, you know, it kind of fucks with your vibe. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can say that on here. It's all good. No, no uh, problem. It kind of screws with your vibe a little bit. You know, you don't know what to play, because you know, I think I did see, like, a few people who seemed to know who I was, but other than that, like, yeah, I just kind of just do my thing at that point and just try and wing it, because, yeah, it does kind of uh, mess with your vibe, you know, if you like if you were hope if you were like really building up that night if you were like posting about it constantly and you were like excited for it and then it ends up being a bust like it definitely affects the way you play too yeah it's hard to maintain the energy when you don't have anybody to sort of pull that energy from yeah do you feel like the energy particularly in the Atlanta clubs is is there a different feel as we're coming out of the pandemic than pre-pandemic or is it just I don't know how do, how does it differ if at all. Well, um, I don't know if it is just I guess picking the right parties or so or not, but it just seems like people are a lot more receptive to the 
to to like the music nowadays and okay. and i mean that in a way of like like i sometimes might be playing at a house party where not everybody is familiar with the techno or with house music but i'm still noticing them getting down to it a lot more than they than they used than i used to see them do if, if that makes sense yeah maybe using up some of that pent up energy from the last 18 months maybe yeah yeah a lot of that uh energy and then that they've been holding within and haven't been able to exert by going out to clubs or anything you know they hear something that sounds good and they're like oh wow this is good what is this yeah <laughs> okay well so what what is next for you where where is your music going and and what's your next release and where can people find you uh, well, uh, what's next is I'm actually working on an artist album right now. Okay. Um, I have about one track completed so far, and I have a few others uh, in progress. Um, this this album is going to be a little bit unique. It's going to not just have uh, techno in there, but there's going to be a few other things in there too. I feel like I don't know whether – I don't know how people are going to receive it because of how different it's going to be, but it's – gonna have have uh, different genres in there like and some that aren't necessarily associated with uh with techno all the time like like i plan to have like maybe i plan to have a breaks track in there i plan to have a psytrance track in there oh wow okay and uh, i even plan to have a very 80s sounding uh phil collins like uh track in there as well <laughs> with like those really, that is eclectic okay yeah with like really snappy snares and stuff like that <laughs> Yeah, I've heard people say that you know you can get away with a little more diversity if you if, if it's an album because you've got kind of a larger body of work to to play with. So that that certainly seems like the right time to experiment a little bit. So what was the inspiration for this album? What what made you decide I'm going to put something out that's got such diversity? Well, um, a lot of it comes from I me. Mean, I have lots of even though the primary uh, taste of my electronic music is uh, progressive house and techno, uh, I'm sure you noticed that I was mentioning trance music a lot like earlier in, in this interview. Yeah. And yeah, trance was kind of like the first thing that kind of got me into the, the overall like underground sound. So because I, I still really, I still do listen to trance and I know that there is good trance music out there. So I still felt like I wanted to make at least one trance track and have that on there. And one, and one side trance track is it's also the production for those tracks, making tracks like that is always fun because the approach to producing different styles is always different. So it make it kind of keeps things fresh. Yeah. Um, I, I love trance music. I think one of my favorite tracks is still uh Jack Agassiz's, um, Strangers Like Me, I think it's like a 20-year-old track, but it is, I don't know, gives me chills every time I listen to it. So, Oh, yeah, that older stuff is great. Absolutely love it. I love old-school Armin Van Buren. Really mm -hmm. wish he could still play the way he did back then. <laughs> um, okay, great. So you've got an album coming out. Uh, you've got a couple of tracks finished. When sort of what's your target date for a release there? Do you have one in mind yet? I was thinking hopefully sometime... Uh, like in the earlier months of next year. Okay. And I do have a pretty big EP coming out in December. Okay. Um, well, uh, what's the name for that? And it's called a uh, Senate uh, S E N E T. Okay. Uh, it features a remix. It's going to be on white line music and it features a remix by 18 East and another person. Um, and uh, it will, and this is primarily a, this is a more melodic track as well. It's, you could, it has like that techno feel to it, but it also has that like progressive feel as well. So it's uh, it's kind of like a combination of both grooves. Okay, awesome. Uh, if you've got a pre-save link, uh, make sure you send it my way, and I'll include that in the show notes. Yeah, no, no pre-saves just yet. Um, okay, well, <laughs> that'll come a little bit later, I think, around December. Um. For the so you've got an EP coming out, and then you've got a an album you're going to target sometime in the spring. How many tracks do you think you'll have on that album? And I, I don't know how many tracks do you typically generate before you make your final cut. Um. 
well, I've never made an album before, so I don't really know how, uh, like, what, how, how many I normally would do, but, um, well, like for an EP, I mean, do you, oh, for um, an EP, yeah, um, for an EP, I like, I, I like to do maximum four, because I feel like if you go a little bit more than that, then it becomes an album. Okay, I, th- I think I'm asking the question poorly. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, at least a lot of the artists that I've talked to on the podcast, they will have 15 or 20 tracks and they pick their favorite four. Or do you just keep grinding away the tracks until it's perfect and you know you you only made two to four tracks and that's your EP? Or, or do you frequently have other unused material that didn't quite make the cut? Oh yeah, okay. I, I, now I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, I will have uh, you know some some of the tracks I have released were ones that I had like started years ago and like never really could find a home for, and then like I'll be asked to make a make an EP, and you know I'll I'll make like one track that will be like the main one, then that will be like the title of the EP as well. But that's where I'll find like one of these older projects that sounds similar enough. Uh, in energy and genre okay and and i'll usually like tweak that one up like if i if i haven't touched this touched the session in a while i'll make sure to to tweak it to the point where it sounds more closer to where my current skills are applied and then yeah i'll usually send those along with it okay so combination of recent work and then maybe some some older things that just didn't get released and you polish them up for your current sound correct okay all right and so you've got the ep coming out you got the album coming out where can people find you so they can uh follow the progress on the ep and the album well uh, i can be followed on my uh artist instagram which is uh zexter underscore music okay um I post on that quite a bit. Uh, usually I will, whatever I post on there will get posted to my uh, Facebook page as well. Okay. Um, my SoundCloud's or a great meta place. page. Yeah. Meta page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can also find, uh, my SoundCloud is also a, a great place to, because that's where I'll upload like track previews, like three minute previews before like they're released. And that's okay. where my, all my DJ mixes and, uh, radio podcast reposts will be so a lot of people can hear what my current sound is or they can a lot of those uh, dj sets will have tracks that are not released of mine that people can hear and oftentimes people will ask about them because okay. it didn't pop up when they were shazamming it or something so <laughs> okay terrific so uh soundcloud instagram facebook uh anywhere else i can point people to and then uh, yes my beatport and spotify as well okay great i will make sure to include links to all all of those on the show notes and this has been a great conversation i really really appreciate it and you've got you. uh, a really cool background and uh i love the international experience and i i really enjoy your sound so thank you very much thank you so much for having me I wanted to wrap up this episode with a quick news and actionable marketing item. Merch has always been a good source of revenue for touring artists, and Spotify is one of the dominant streaming platforms on the planet. Unfortunately, until recently, your only choice for selling merch on Spotify was a company called Merch Bar. While I haven't personally used them, I have heard other artists complain about their policies. On October 20th, however, Spotify launched a partnership with Shopify. You probably have heard of Shopify. They've been around since 2006. They're in 175 different countries, and they have about 1.7 million businesses that use them for e-commerce. They also have a ton of integrations with different websites and email platforms. So especially if you've got a lot of followers on Spotify, you should probably be considering Shopify as your e-commerce provider. A basic Shopify account is currently $29 a month, but they are offering a 90-day free trial for Spotify artists. I'll have a link for more information in the show notes at producerlifepodcast.com. Look for episode 88. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leave a rating and review. That would really help other producers find this podcast, and I would love to feature some of your reviews on future episodes.
Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.